You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. The world of business is a challenging one. From the youngest entrepreneurs to the biggest and most respected names across Canada, you need to have a strong will, determination, and skills to navigate to the top. I'll be talking to everyone from budding entrepreneurs to the established leaders in the world of business. You'll hear their stories of where they were, where they are, and where they're going. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and this is my podcast. Hi, and welcome to today's show. My guest today is Catherine Tate, President and CEO of CBC and Radio Canada. Catherine's career spans over 30 years within the film and television industry. Between several different independent film and media companies, she's held many titles, including founder, executive director, and her current title of President and CEO. Not only is her current role in CBC, a tremendous important one, but also an historic one, as she is the first woman to lead Canada's public broadcaster. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you, Manjit. So maybe let's start in the beginning. You were born in Greece and and talk to me about your upbringing and what life was like um, as a child. Well, that's so, you've clearly done your research. There's a little known fact about me. My father was a Canadian diplomat, and I just happened to have been born in Greece. So, oh, okay. But it it uh, it's significant because it does somewhat inform my passion for all things international. I've I've spent my career and starting with my education really on a global level. I I was very fortunate. I got my master's degree at Boston University after graduating from University of Toronto. And then I went on to do another degree at uh, Paris 2, which is a, a university in Paris. And I've really had an enormously fortunate career path, which took me from, from Montreal to New York to Paris to Halifax. And now I'm here in Ottawa. So it's really, I feel very, very fortunate and extremely privileged to be in my current role, obviously. And so growing up, what did you gravitate towards as far as talents and skills? Was it arts? Were you creative? Was your family pushing or encouraging you into the creative arts? It's funny that you say that, Manjit, because I did spend a little time looking at your career trajectory. And my, I thought, oh, gee, I wish I'd had entrepreneurs as parents. Because there's a part of me, I always describe myself as a creative producer. So mm. I have a big interest in, obviously, culture and arts and creativity. But at the same time, I had business instincts. And that's why I gravitated to being a producer. Because a producer ultimately takes a creative idea, but actually puts the financing and all of the business elements in place to make a show happen. So my parents were both civil servants. I grew up largely in Ottawa, but because my father was a diplomat, a lot of time abroad. And I had, I think, from that exposure, a deep sense of public service. And I think that's what really pulled me back to CBC Radio-Canada, that after a career in private sector, largely in the private sector, uh, running companies and being in business, I, I really wanted to give back to my industry and to Canada, because Canada has given me so much. And this is really for anybody who is in the broadcasting or the television and film industry. CBC, Radio Canada, is really, in some ways, the pinnacle in the sense that it is the only 
media organization, truly national media organization in our country, touching coast to coast to coast, English True. and French, eight indigenous languages. So for me, as I, at the time, it's funny, four and a half years later, I remember very clearly when I was appointed saying, this is my dream job, because it brings together public service, a sense of duty, giving back, but also a highly operational, commercial, challenging, big corporation to run. So it has all the elements for me. And, and that's really rare that you say that you had arts and business instincts, because usually it's one or the other. And sometimes in the arts community, hence the term starving artist, is that <laughs> most people who have that creativity in that background in arts aren't necessarily great business people. And so it's a unique combination to have that talent and skill, but also recognize that that is where some of your interests lie. And so when you decided that you were going to go to university, tell me a little bit about those, not those experiences. What did you find similar and what did you find different and that you took from each of those places? Well, it's interesting because it wasn't always clear to me that kind of push and pull between the arts and business. And again, because I came from a family which was more civil service uh, focused, I didn't realize what it was to be an entrepreneur. So when I went to university, I actually started in mathematics and oh. in geology. I thought I wanted to be a geologist. And after a year or two in the mining engineer program, I thought, holy cow, I'm in the right place. <laughs> so I switched to philosophy and literature. And that really filled me in a different way that, than the, the sciences. But the sciences have always been a big part of my interest. So when I went to Boston, I actually, a little known fact, I, my master's degree is actually in research methodology. So there's a kind of a, it, it, a sort of a scientific bent to my interest. So that was really about audience analysis, understanding audiences, understanding how you measure interest in communication. So after that degree, I went back to a modern philosophy and the degree that I took in France was really about modern philosophy and analytical thinking. So kind of a strange adventure, but really for me, what I was looking for, I guess, in all of that was where do I fit and how do I contribute? And having this kind of peculiar mix of science and arts, what is my path? And so when I finally ended up working in the cultural industries and finding this producer thing, which I had never really, I didn't know what it was. Right. And in fact, I don't think anybody, my family still doesn't understand what it is <laughs> because producers create something from nothing. It's not like you're in the beer business where you come up with a formula and a, and a product and then you put it on a manufacturing line. Producers and most of the people who work at CBC Radio Canada are creating something new every day. And that's an enormous distinction because it requires a focus, but also a, an agility to respond to changes in the market. And it's so rare, like you were part of Dragon's Den, it's so rare that a show becomes an icon and becomes something that, go, that lasts and endures. Because True. generally, one season, two seasons, you're lucky. So anyway, adventure has been my guiding principle in, in my career. 
And along with that, I guess, you know, you've had a quite remarkable career that has gone to different places. You started in the 80s as policy and planning manager for Telefilm Canada, and then you became director and cultural attaché with the Canadian Culture Centre in France. And then you went on to become president and CEO of Salter Street Films, which produced one of my favorite shows still to this day. This hour is 22 minutes. And like you say, that is the pinnacle also of of creating something new every single day from nothing, (laughs) which takes a special group of people for sure. And so you definitely have had a lot of different roles in media. And so what attracted you and what made you want to move and challenge yourself in order to take roles within the media industry that really not only were challenging, but were very new, not only to Mm -hmm. you, but to females. And as you say, there was no real definition of what all these roles and these titles um, necessarily were at the time. It's it's interesting because I was thinking a little bit about that career path. And I was trying to think, what is the common element between all these different roles, that, some of which you've described? And I would say that each new job was a stretch. And mm. for me, that stretch had fear embedded in it. Because like most people and many women, I, I was constantly concerned that I might be an imposter and might not be able to perform. But I was so fortunate that there were people around me who saw at least enough of the ingredients in for necessary for the particular role that were willing to take a risk on me. And, I, and you, one job you didn't mention, which was very, very important, kind of a definitive for me, was the, my role as executive director of a nonprofit organization called the Independent Feature Project in New York. And okay. that, that organization is the largest trade organization of independent filmmakers in the United States. And I came from being a cultural attache in the Canadian diplomatic service to that. Mm. And that job required building membership. Obviously, we ran a market, we ran festivals, that kind of thing. But also fundraising, like all nonprofits, really, the executive director's job is to raise money. And I had never really experienced that in a in a hands-on way and it became the really when I say it's defining it's because I learned that we're all selling doesn't matter yes. what job you're in yes. we're all selling something right now I'm selling the value of CBC Radio Canada of a national public broadcaster to all the stakeholders whether it's government whether it's other private media whether it's the Canadian public we're trying to communicate why it's important. What, what, what is it about the public broadcaster that's important and valuable? So that learning to sell and being authentic in sales, because as you know, as a successful entrepreneur, if there is no authenticity, <laughs> there's no value proposition. Absolutely. And so that really became the key accepting that because a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm buying, I'm not selling, you know, or somebody's a salesperson and somehow that's not a good thing. I say, embrace it, understand it, because it has been, it was what allowed me when I joined Salter Street Films, I was hired, actually, I was not CEO, I was hired by the CEO, I was president and chief operating officer, and I took the company public. Hmm. And again, talk about a stretch. I'm a degree, several degrees in philosophy and modern literature, 
And I end up taking a company public with no finance, no formal finance training. Wow. A woman taking the company public based in Halifax, an entertainment company based in Halifax. It was a, there were a whole lot of variables why that should not work. But it was extraordinary that I, at that moment, I understand, what, what am I selling here? What am I selling to shareholders? What is the value? Why is it important? And that learning that there is no shame in selling. In fact, there's honor in explaining to an audience or to customers or to consumers what it is that is of value and how it is that what it is that you're presenting could benefit their lives. So that became really defining for me. I love that you are so self-aware, but that you are, you are saying that because when young people ask me all the time, what's one skill, one thing I should learn? My first answer always is you need to learn to sell because like you say, no matter what you're doing, no matter what role you have, you have to learn how to sell. It is so critical. And I don't know why and how and when it became a dirty word to be a salesperson. But I think they started with death of a salesman, I believe. (laughs) Possibly. Very true. Very true. Um, But I think that it is very key and that the better that you can get at it and be aware of it, it is so important. And I really like that you're saying that you really are conscious about getting uncomfortable and stretching yourself and obviously then continuously learning. That's what I assume then keeps you interested in growing not only your networks, but also understanding more about yourself as mm-hmm. your career you know, expands, but also as, as you grow into it. And I think that I like that you say that fear was embedded to it. I think too many people take roles that they already know they're going to be good at and or are comfortable in. And therefore, they wonder sometimes why they're not fulfilled or satisfied or aren't reaching the next pinnacle of success, whatever that might be to them. And so I like that you have, you've definitely thought about it. But then also you're conscious about the decisions that you're making and taking the opportunities of, because not everybody is. (laughs) Well, I've also had the advantage that you sadly pointed out, I've been in the business 30 years. So there is an element of serendipity and all of that as well. But I guess to your listeners, I would say to remain open. Oftentimes people talk about, oh, well, if I took that role, I'd have to move. Mm. It would be hard on my kids. And they think of all the obstacles. And I remember thinking at some point, because I moved every single time a lot. Right. And I, I was, I'm very fortunate. My husband is a sculptor, so he's able to kind of take his work with him. So it didn't present. I, I recognize that people in, certainly in marriages have challenges to move around. But there's also that element of being willing to try something completely different. And I think that it's the fear of the Mm. stretch, but it's also putting yourself in a place where you might try something very, very different, like you did with Dragon's Den. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people ask me all the time, how did that come, whether it be a board or whether it be Dragon's Den or multiple other things. And I always say, I think I put out to the world that I am open to opportunities Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I definitely am. I'm open to trying, not to say that it all succeeds by any means. And I'm not scared shitless usually, (laughs) including every year, even after eight years coming back into the den. But I think that that's what keeps it interesting for me and where others can relate to the fact that you can make mistakes, but also you can be open to people approaching you 
in order to say, hey, let's try this out together. Because there is definitely always that serendipity Mm -hmm. that you have to put yourself into a different location in a place. And so tell me a little bit about your first exposure to TV, film and media. And what made you feel that this not only makes me want to be involved in this industry and the people in this industry, because just like any industry, it's, it's a small group of individuals. But what excites you about the media industry? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Years ago, when the Toronto International Film Festival was called Festival of Festivals, they had a pass. I, I want to say it was $9.99, like it was really cheap <laughs> and for students. Uh, oh. And I was at the University of Toronto, and I remember purchasing, I'm not sure if it was $9.99, but anyway, I purchased the student pass, and I spent days watching film. Mm. And film became really my dearest escape <laughs> from whatever was going on in my life. And it has been, a def- you know, again, a, a part of my life. I, I would consider myself to be, you know, a cinephile. So, but I did make the connection. Oh, that's something I could do. That's just where I went for my happy place. Mm. (laughs) You know, I'd be studying and doing all the other things. And then as I progressed, and and certainly when I was doing my philosophy degrees, I did talk a lot about and study a lot about the notion of creativity and aesthetics and the importance of aesthetics and the uh, the importance of the collective experience around culture. So it started, it kind of, I backed into the idea of being in the media business because I, it was really from a very theoretical and just a love place. I love film and I love storytelling. And I was a huge consumer of literature as a child and I, we're everything, science fiction, all of it. I, I just mm-hmm. love imaginary worlds. But I never in a million years thought, oh, I could actually be in that industry. And it was only much later that I realized, oh, there's something that I can bring to that. I always thought you have to be the creator of the thing. I didn't realize there was this other role, which is the producer role. And so it was kind of a cumulative experience because when I worked at the Independent Future Project in New York, we were very, it was a very interesting time in the history of film. It was the kind of the, the moment of the discovery of independent film for, in the United States. So all the U.S. always very familiar with Hollywood, but they didn't really, there wasn't even a term for independent film. Oh. And this was the time of Quentin Tarantino coming out. That's when I met Michael Moore. We ended up producing Bowling for Columbine at Salter Street, but I met him in New York when he made Roger and Me. Jenny Livingston's Paris is Burning, an unbelievably important film for the LGBTQ community. It was just how independent filmmakers were ripping open the industry. And this was really my first exposure to point of view filmmaking as opposed to sheer entertainment. Mm. And so I started to think about that. And as the industry has evolved, obviously, feature film is perhaps less the dominant art form and television has really become uh, and streaming has become the dominant art form, but it's all about storytelling. And what I know about having been a producer and worked in production for so many years is the key is the point of view. If you don't know what the showrunner or the creator of a, a television show is trying to say, 
then you're lost as the audience. And that's when people say, oh, that was kind of an okay B minus. You know, when people say that about a TV show, it's because it doesn't have a point of view. Mm. So when we look at a show, and, and I hope you've seen it, but if not, I recommend it, a recent show of CBC's called Sort Of, which tells the story of a transgender Pakistani nanny, very, very unique point of view. You know, it's not a big platform of a show. It's not a period piece. It's not any of those things. But it is so authentic and beautiful in its storytelling. When I saw that show, I said, oh, I know exactly why I'm here at CBC Hydro Canada is to tell these stories. Mm. So even though I'm now in a very, call it a corporate role as a CEO, I am still very, very close to the content. I care deeply that we're making and reflecting the stories, the true stories, the authentic stories of Canadians, whether that would be, in this case, a transgender Pakistani a comedian or the stories that are told through Schitt's Creek about an openness to the LGBT experience or the porter telling the story, an important story of Black Canadians. So that's really what, what gets me charged up about the job. Gotcha. Well, I've definitely watched two out of three of those. I will have to add sort of to my watch list. <laughs> um, but you're right. Like I've watched Schitt's Creek multiple times. And as a viewer, I didn't know why I was really enjoying the storytelling and the show for a variety of reasons, I guess. And I think that's what makes the media world so interesting in that it can have so much change. It can inform, it can entertain. It has a lot of capabilities if done right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so let's talk about CBC then. So how do you think that your previous roles help you prepare to be the leader of the largest broadcaster in Canada? and also such a diverse broadcaster and your role to be a very important and historic one. So how do you feel that everything kind of led you up to this role in 2018 to take it on? I guess for me, I would say that it is the cumulative building blocks that I put in place with respect to business experience. I mean, I have run a publicly traded company and, and understanding how to read a balance sheet and a P&L Responsibility is extremely important when you're running a $1.8 billion corporation. You need to have business skills, for sure. But I also would say the public service piece is important. Public policy is extremely Mm -hmm. important. I did start my career working in the team that was, believe it or not, on uh, looking at the uh, Broadcasting Act. At that time, it was was under a a series of, of, of revisions. So I had that I had that knowledge and that understanding of what is it that is different about the public broadcaster. So it's I guess again it's, it's each of the roles that I've played. I didn't know it was leading to CBC Radio Canada, but when it came to me that when I was approached for the position, it did all kind of make sense. It's like many puzzles, pieces of the puzzles fell into place. It wasn't a master plan. I, I don't live my life with master plans, but. I do think that apart from being the first woman to run this organization, it took 80 years, by the way, I am also, I believe, the first producer to have held the role. And that brings a different sensitivity and sense, you know, whatever that is, positive or negative, it's a different set of skills. So 
All that to say, CEOs bring different leadership and different qualities. There is no one formula for being a, a good CEO. I think at the end of the day, it's about being able to inspire people and to support the people in the phenomenally good work they do. I can't take any credit for the brilliant journalism that this company produces in English and French and eight indigenous languages each and every day. These people are the top of their profession. And I don't even have a background in journalism. So that's been a huge learning curve for me and understanding, oh, what is it to be a truly independent public broadcaster? Because a lot of people don't understand that there's a very distinct separation between the journalism and the management and government. So that's very important to protect. And that's become a big part of what I do is trying to explain to Canadians Your public broadcaster is here to serve you first and foremost, the public, not to serve the government, to serve you. That's just been phenomenally interesting. But all that to say, everybody should dream, if they're in the media industry, of running a a big broadcaster or a big media industry. It doesn't have to be in television, radio, and digital. It can be in any number of areas. It's a great way of combining, as we started our conversation, business and creativity. So you are the first women, as as I mentioned, to be in the position at CBC. And that's a very positive sign of change and progression, even though it took 80 years. <laughs> but what else do you see happening in the next, hopefully within the decade, that can really accentuate and legitimize all of the expansion progression towards equality, towards social issues that, you know, as an industry, maybe sometimes the media industry has been a little bit behind. I feel like in some cases now it's starting to leapfrog in some areas. And so I think that it's positive change. And, and so what do you see from the insider's view, I guess? Well, for sure, the public broadcaster and the national public broadcaster here in Canada has a very important leadership role to play in societal change and reflecting societal change. We have a leadership role, for example, in the area of sustainability. We are, you know, last year we announced a greening strategy, not just in how we run our operations, but in how we produce shows. And we expect our independent producers to be making significant commitments to improving their carbon footprint. That's a, that's a role that the public broadcaster has to. So sustainability, accessibility. And of course, in the area of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and that's perhaps what you're referring to. I had no idea when I joined CBC Hydro-Canada that it would, well, one, that we would have a two-year pandemic or two-and-a-half-year pandemic. And right smack in the middle of that, we would have the biggest social justice reckoning, Mm. both on the Black Lives Matter side, but also in the case of the uh, Indigenous discoveries that were made. And at Kamloops and in other locations around the country, and really a reckoning around the profound damage of the uh, residential schools. Mm -hmm. So right in the middle of the, you know, we're trying to serve Canadians and keep them informed during a, a major global pandemic. And at the same time, we're hit with this conversation and an urgency around social change. And again, with, and I certainly wasn't just me alone, it was we as a company with our leaders, with members of those underrepresented groups, 
we started a very, very important work about what can we do to not just radically change our thinking, because anything that says feels like radical, well, you break it, you fix it. Will it last? Will it endure? How do you lay track Mm -hmm. for a truly representative public broadcaster? We were in the very important national uh, public institution. We touch every corner of the country. How do we lay track to ensure that underrepresented Canadians see themselves in our ranks, whether that's who's on screen, who's behind the camera, who's telling the story, what kind of stories we're telling? Oftentimes people think, well, it's just about entertainment. Well, no, in the newsroom, who's assigning the stories of the day? How are we telling the stories? Are we sensitive to the communities that we're trying to serve? Do we just go in and grab a story and leave? Or do we stay? Do we show our commitment to really representing that community in an authentic, respectful way? So that whole conversation, I would say, if I had to name one thing that has really profoundly, that surprised me that I didn't know we would be dealing with, that surprised me, but that also enriched my, myself, uh, my own personal experience. It has been, I've learned so much. I was not trained in social justice, race relations or any of it. So it's right. been a huge, it's, it's required shutting up and listening and then figuring out with those people at the table how to make meaningful change. I like that attitude. I think that like yourself, many leaders in this country were not trained in, in those things. And so it was in the ones that I feel not only came out of it, but are continuously enriching themselves, their teams, their company, and learning about it are actually open, like you say, to listening and talking less, but listening to those who are, you know, subject matter specialists, but also wanting to have the conversations and, and are able to have those conversations. And talking about influencing change, you have had the opportunity to sit on a numerous number of boards within the TV and media industry. And so there's so many here. Um, oh, I'm, not, uh, I'm we... not on them anymore. I stepped, I stepped down from all those boards when I joined this company so as not to be no, distracted so... from the main event, which is <laughs> running the CDC Radio Canada. So I guess previously you sat yes. on numerous <laughs> boards and it obviously gave you a lot of value, knowledge and experience to your position, but also you were able to help influence change sitting at some very big tables. So why is, was that, and I'm sure it will be once again, important to you to be able to sit at those tables of influence to help change in order to not only inform yourself about what others are doing and believing, but in order to have those conversations. Well, I would dovetail back to a comment you made with respect to the media industry. The reality is I thought because media is about communication and storytelling, that that would be, in fact, more, a more progressive place for women when I started my career. But as you have pointed out, in, in some instances, media has been behind. And, you, and, and I just would like to explore that for a second, because you, you ask yourself, why? Why is it that we don't have more shows that about you know, transgender Pakistani nannies. Why is it that we didn't have more shows with Black lead actors? And the reason why, again, as a producer, broadcasters have limited funds or 
and it doesn't have to be a broadcast or movie studios, mm-hmm. limited funds, high risk money, very high risk, right? Because unlike, and I go back to the beer bottling business, you have one shot when you're green lighting a movie or a TV show. And if True. they get it wrong, it's a disaster and you lose that money. So what happens? The instinct is that you hire the same people mm. for with whom you've made successful shows previously. So that might be the white showrunner, the tried and true writer. And that's why you get this kind of homogenous phenomenon in mm. media, the same police show, the same formula back served. I mean, I, I know audiences will say, why am I getting that same thing again? Well, it worked before. Right. And it's I safe. Have, it's safe. And, and I have high risk dollars. Mm. What I say about the public broadcaster is this is exactly where we play. We're not trying to compete with CTV or TVA or Netflix or any of those big, important media players. We're trying to, our filter is new voices, different filter for making choice. Have we heard that voice before? Can we create something that, that will be new and fresh? Uh, how do we support and, and, and develop the industry? So back to your question about being on boards, and I'm of a certain generation, obviously, a little older than you, um, <laughs> that there were very few women. I was served on the board of Chum Broadcasting. I served on the Alliance board. And, and in many cases, I would be the only woman in the room. And I did feel early in my career that I'd been very fortunate, especially uh, running a public company, that that gave me opportunity to serve on publicly traded media companies. And I felt it was very important to be there at the table. For example, a telephone company where 50% of the customers are women, but there's only one woman on the board of directors. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And you can say the same about, you know, racialized... Canadians or Canadians, 20% of Canadians live with some form of disability. True. Are they represented in these rooms where decisions are being made? So oftentimes being the only one is very hard Mm -hmm. because you become the pebble in the shoe and you're isolated. You don't get invited to the golfing parties. Thank goodness. (laughs) But it's so wonderful when there's three in the room or four True. in the room, because then you start to see kinetic energy and then you start to see momentum and then you start to see shift, shift in the conversation. So that's why even at the board of directors at, not even, especially at the board of directors of CBC Hydro-Canada, if you look at that board, it's very diverse. And we've made a concerted effort to have representation, not just regional but from all types of Canadians so that we hear their voices at the table. Super important. Agreed. And that's a really good point that about new voices, having different, unique point of views, but also just representing who the audience is so they can see themselves on screen. And I think that for so many generations and decades, that wasn't the case. I never saw somebody who looked like me and I'm 42 <laughs> growing up, look like me on TV. and so. It was very important to me, of course, pushed by those around me to to be in the den and to be on TV and in front of people because maybe somebody could see themselves in me in a variety of different ways, culture, language, religion, point of view, age, looks like a variety of different things, geography, like you say, 
lots of different things because we all are very unique and bring a different opinion and perspective. It doesn't mean that we can't respect those that already exist, but it is important to be able to be that pebble in the shoe, as you say. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's only how change happens. And sometimes it takes longer than we all wish, but it has to start somewhere. And so what would be your best advice for somebody who has been through a lot in the media industry and anybody who's feeling like it might be something that they would be interested in? How should they maybe start or look at what their talents or skills are to bring to the table? Well, I would say to all the introverts out there, do not be put off by the big brazen personalities that you think are, you know, are there in those jobs because I'm an introvert. So I've had to learn how to thrive in this industry that seems to be filled with big personalities. That would be point number one. So be brave and be bold. I think the key ingredient to be successful in the media industry is to be enormously imaginative. And that doesn't mean you have to be a writer or a director, but just to be open and to be agile and be able to respond to what's going on around you, to notice. And at the end of the day, as I said, I am probably the biggest consumer of CBC Radio Canada content that I would challenge anybody. I watch more shows. When I meet a journalist, I make sure that I've looked at the work. So I would say my advice would be, look at the work, look at the content, get to know. It's amazing to me how many people pitch a broadcaster or pitched me that haven't actually looked at the work. And I could agree with you more. I feel the same <laughs> thing. When people pitch me at, and it's so out to lunch, I always think, have you not done five minutes of research on me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like... So it is, for, I mean, and again, I'm biased, but I feel that the, this industry, we are living a period of enormous disruption. 10 years ago, Facebook didn't exist. TikTok didn't exist. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazingly exciting period. It's so there's tons of opportunity for young people or even mid-career people who want to jump in. And it's also an industry that needs people who are brave and who are willing to do the work because, you know, we're living in a time of a lot of online harm, a lot of uh, polarization in our societies, and we need media executives who are willing to stand up for the values of truth trust, democracy. These are the fundamental issues that we at CBC Radio Canada are defending each and every day. And we need people who have a sense of mission around that. So those would be my words. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. What a fascinating and inspiring story. Um, Truly, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. And I know so will our listeners. Thank you once again. Thank you, Manjit. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what we're doing on the show, be sure to follow us, leave us a like, rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode with another great guest for more insightful conversation. We'll see you again next time. Cheers.